begin by singing and glorifying God together. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing.
come today to glorify you, to worship you, to proclaim how much we need you, and to celebrate your presence with us. We pray that our worship would truly bring glory to you and would draw us closer to you, to one another, and to your world. We thank you for your presence here. Be glorified in our worship. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just uh, one uh, thing to bring to your attention, uh, see in the bulletin, uh, today at 3 o'clock is the uh, memorial service for Alton Shea, and uh, I know the family would appreciate our prayers and our support uh, for them. There are other burdens and concerns that we also are praying about, and there's, there's also uh, just activities going on and inserts in your bulletin and ways in which you can participate. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. <laughs> the whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. 
Like sunshine at noonday, His glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. No darkness for those who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, it's shining for thee. Sweetly. offer our prayers to Christ this morning. If you'd like to come to the altar and offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today in thanksgiving and adoration and worship because of who you are and because of all that you have done in this world for us and for others. We come to honor you and to glorify you and we thank you for your promise 
that you hear our prayers. Father, we pray this morning that that you would send your spirit of comfort and peace upon um, all who are grieving today, and particularly Alton Shea's family. We thank you for Alton's faithful life and following you and for your faithfulness to him. We pray for this family and their grief and loss and ask that they would know your peace. Father, we pray for the many ways in which we struggle in this world. We thank you for your forgiveness for our sins. We thank you for the ways in which you restore our relationships that are not what we wish they would be. We thank you for the ways in which you lead us and guide us in the decisions of our lives. And we thank you for your healing and for your presence in our pain. We pray today, especially for those who are wrestling with health concerns. And we think of uh, Jill Tyson and Priscilla Waltz. We pray for Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski. For Beverett and Micah Christensen and Linda Roth. and For Isla Shea and for Dick Gould. For Edna Howard and Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for others that are on our minds and hearts who are in need today. Father, we continue to pray for our world for those who are suffering from Ebola and the effects of that and the devastating tragedy that this disease has been. We pray that you will continue to bring healing and comfort and help. We pray, Father, for uh, our brothers and sisters who are in ministry around the world. We thank you for, specifically today, the ministry of John and Carolyn Miller and their work with the translation of the Brew New Testament, the Scriptures. We pray that you will continue to help this, this word to go forth, that it will change lives as your Spirit uses your powerful word. We pray, Father, for the Christians in North Korea who are facing great opposition, arrests, imprisonment, persecution. We ask, Father, for your mercies upon our brothers and sisters. We pray that their lives will so reflect you that even those who persecute them will have a change of heart toward them and toward you. And they might open their hearts to you. Father, we pray this time with uh, people around the world about uh, being committed to the sanctity of human life. We thank you that life comes from you and that it is blessed. Forgive us for the ways in which we devalue and dehumanize one another. And We pray, Father, that you will give to us a new passion for life. Help us to love and to care and to express in every way possible your love for every human being in every place. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We thank you for all the ways in which you are at work in us, in this place, in this world. We pray, Father, that you will continue to draw us to yourself through the power of your Spirit. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. Can you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Um, After the reading of the gospel, the children will be dismissed for children's church and junior church. John 8, 1 through 20. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and Jesus said, Teacher, and said, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. But what do you say? They were using this question to, as a trap in order to catch. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, only until Jesus was left. When the woman was still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, why, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go, leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord.
I don't think it would take much to prove to us that we live in a world of darkness. I mean, you know, you just read the, read the news, watch the news, uh, see what's happening in the world. Uh, another terrorist attack, corporate greed, white-collar crime, violent crime, uh, we, we see all of the effects of sin in our world and the darkness of that. And if you're like me, sometimes it is so discouraging. You just wonder, when is it going to end? Will it end? And it feels like it's escalating. I don't know if it is or not, but it feels that way. The darkness of the world is all around us. Sometimes we think darkness is all out there. But quite frankly, because of our struggles and because of who we are, wherever we go, there is a certain amount of darkness. All of us wrestle with that. The thing that intrigues me about darkness is that when it's dark, there is, as Jesus says in this passage we've just read, in darkness we have a tendency to stumble around. And sometimes the darkness sneaks up on us. Sometimes it hits us without us realizing it. Someone was telling me recently about uh, going hiking with their spouse. And it was, you know, afternoon. And so they they went out and they were out hiking. And they were out quite a long time. And when they started to turn around and come back, they realized that it had already become dusk. And they weren't really thinking about the coming back with with the sun having begun to set. And they had one flashlight that they were using to get down from where they were hiking, and it was a sort of stumbling process getting through. And sometimes the darkness does that to us. We're not ready for it. It sneaks up on us. We don't see it. Sometimes our relationship to the darkness and our our attempts to to walk and live in the darkness is quite frankly overconfidence. I remember years ago, we, uh, it was when we lived in Wisconsin, and one night uh, I was up probably watching a basketball game or something, and um, Cindy had, had gone to bed, and when the game was over, it was probably 11, 11.30 at night, and obviously dark, and uh, I, so I turned off the light in the family room where I was watching the game. And when I did that, I realized that there were no other lights on in the house. And so I had to get through the door of that room and into the kitchen and then up the stairs in the house where we lived. And I thought for a second, should I turn the light back on? Like, no, I've, been, I've done this a hundred times, thousands of times. No big deal. So I walked to the door, the doorway there in the room, and... I ran right into the corner of the doorway. And what was weird is that, I mean, I hit my head right there in the middle of the doorway. And, I, and I, as I hit the doorway, I, of course, smacked it, heard that noise, and then I heard this clink, clink. And I thought, what was that? 
And I struggled back and I found the light and realized that I had hit, where I hit the door, I had these plastic glasses and it hit right in the middle of the frame. And what I heard was one lens going that way and the other lens going that way. You know, I, so you wear glasses with tape on them for a while, you know, I feel like I was back in high school. But you, know, you, you get, I got overconfident about it. I thought, oh, I can handle it. I can live in the dark. I can walk in the dark. It's no big deal. And I was reminded about how often we think we're good enough to do that. We think it doesn't, we, you know, we, we're okay. We're handling it. We're fine. When in reality, the darkness can so easily overwhelm us. It is in that context that Jesus says to the people in this conversation, I'm the light of the world. Now, it's interesting to me as we, Jesus makes that statement that light is historically symbolic for God and for God's presence. We read back at the beginning, the very first act of creation is light. It is the first thing that God does to bring light into the world. When he brings his people out of Egypt, the book of Exodus tells us that he guides them with light. A pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he leads them through the desert and to their, place, to their dwelling place by light. And then we come to the setting up of the tabernacle and the setting up of the temple. And he tells them, uh, every day you go in, you light these candles. And in fact, the candles are to be continually going all day, all night long. The candles are to be lit to symbolize my presence with you. That is one of the reasons why we light candles when we come together in worship. There's nothing magical about the candles. They are a visual reminder that God is here. Light represents the presence of God. And so when the, when the Israelites would gather to, to worship, they would light candles to represent the presence of God. And those candles, the light, was for them a representation, a reminder of how God had led them and would continue to lead them and God's presence with them to comfort them and to care for them and to watch over them and to be with them. So when Jesus speaks these words, it is actually as the great festival, the Feast of Tabernacles is taking place in Israel. It's one of the three great feasts in Israel, the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this was, partic- this was a, 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 a feast when the Israelites would get together and they would remember how when they lived in the desert for 40 years, they lived in these little booths, these little sort of like lean-tos, little shack-like things. And God said to them every year for a week, you put up these little booths, these little lean-to shacks, and you go and you live in them. And for a week, they, they all leave their homes and the comfort of their homes, and they take the few things that they can, and they move out to these little shacks, these little booths, and they live for a week. And it is to remind them of what God did for them when they were in Egypt, when they were coming out of Egypt in the wilderness. And they are not intended to be something that they look at and say, wow, this is such a moment of suffering for us. We have to live for a week without all the amenities of our homes. But rather, it is to remind them of God's care. And, and it, is actually, it actually becomes not a, not a week of saying, wow, I don't have this, I don't have that, and to whine and complain about it, and to, think, and to realize, wow, our life is so much better. But it's to take them all the way back to the wilderness, those days when they were so vulnerable to everything that the desert brings, including invaders, the sun, the, 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 uh, all the other weather possibilities, and to remember how God cared for them. That's why it's a festival. It's a feast. And on the first day of this feast, all the people gather, a lot of the people gather in the court of the Gentiles, and they've got these great big poles with lamps on them. 
And there are four, four of these, and there are four ladders, and they have four young men who are Levites climb the ladders with these jugs of oil, and they fill them up, and they light them. And as they are lit, all of the, the leaders, the, the holy men of Israel, sing and dance all around the tabernacle and the temple. While the other priests play their instruments, the trumpets and cymbals and, and harps, and they have this huge celebration. Even though they're celebrating, leaving their comfortable homes and living out in these little lean-tos. It's because of what God has done. And the place is illuminated with light as they remember that it was darkness in the wilderness. It was tough. It was hard. But God was with them. And now Jesus says to them, all of this light that represents God, I want to tell you, I am the light of the world. And again, uses that phrase that is God's name, I am, ego a me. And he's saying to them, everything that you think about God, all that these lights represent about what God has done for you, how God has been at work in your life as a people, that's me. That's who I am. I am the light of the world. And you celebrate. You rejoice. And Jesus says to them, all who follow me will not stumble in the darkness, but will have the light of life. It seems to me that the key, the key word in that sentence is follow. I mean, it's the one thing that we're asked to do. God provides the light God sends Christ to be the light. And what he's asking of us is to follow. What does it mean to follow? This word has, a, has an idea behind it of pursuing something that you, you really deeply want. Sometimes it's pursuing a, an enemy in battle. Sometimes it's pursuing a criminal. It also has this sense of metaphorically to mean I get it. I understand I follow what you're saying. We even use that phrase sometimes. In the, in the Jewish, in the Old Testament world, it was the word that was used to describe a pupil of a rabbi. It was, you followed the rabbi, and sometimes you followed them literally around everywhere they went. But to follow the rabbi meant to, to want to, to take everything that the rabbi knows and get it into yourself. And so to follow a rabbi meant to give yourself to this rabbi. And you learned everything that you could from this rabbi. And so the end result was you wanted to think like this rabbi thinks. And you wanted to see like this rabbi sees. And you wanted to, to process things the way this rabbi processes them. And to act like this rabbi acts. And all of it was culminating in understanding the law. It was being as much as possible like this rabbi. And there was this yearning, this desire, and you gave yourself to whatever it took to get everything you could from this learned rabbi. And now Jesus comes along and says, follow me, the light of the world. In the midst of all the darkness of the world, all the darkness that crowds in around you, I am the light, follow me. Want me. I think there is something in this idea of following Jesus that we surrender to him. We have this, this deep yearning to want Jesus. But too often the, the image of Jesus we want is the image that we create ourselves. We want to put Jesus in the box that makes us feel comfortable. We put Jesus into the box to say, well, I'll follow the Jesus that I've created in my own image. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I am the God that you have worshipped through the centuries. I am the God who says to Moses, you can't really quite pin me down. I'm too great for that. And so what we're really saying in following Jesus is that we are surrendering ourselves to who he says he is. A little bit mysterious uncontrollable. He reveals much of himself to us, but there's a lot we don't get. 
The bottom line is to follow Jesus is to surrender ourselves in such a way that we trust him. And sometimes the light of Christ illumines a whole big area and following him is pretty easy. Other times all he gives us is a little bit of beam of light ahead of us and following him is trusting Most mornings, I, I go out walking on the road by our house, a lucky drive. Even on these cold mornings, you know, I get about six layers on and they got this mask on and, you know, hat and everything and go out and walk. And usually it's, you know, sometime a little before six o'clock or so when I'm out. And, of course, this time of year, it's dark. So I, I carry a little flashlight, if nothing else, because it is often a time when there are shift changes at the nursing home. And so there are a fair number of cars coming up and down the road, and I want them to be able to see me as much as anything else. So I'm flashing this light, you know, as the car comes and trying to make sure that they can see me. But of course, the light is also something that I use so I can see too. And what I find fascinating is that when I, when I, when it's just me and my light, I can see out the road and it works perfectly. I can't see you know, I can't see a half mile down the road, but I can see where I'm walking as I move forward. But the interesting thing to me is that whenever a car comes toward me, and it's much more light than my little flashlight, but when that car is coming at me, it blinds me. I can't see anything. I was asking someone about this the other day. I was thinking, I said, you know, what, what does that say to you? What kind of, what kind of, metaphor do you see in that and he said you know actually when you when that's happening you're really walking toward the darkness i begin to ponder that i realize that's true i'm not walking with the where the so that the beams of light help me see i'm actually walking in a different way and they're blinding me and sometimes when we think about the light of Christ in us, what he's saying is, I want you to follow, let the light be ahead of you and to follow it. And we get ahead of him and sometimes it creates this atmosphere in which we're blinded to the things of God because, you know, we're, we're looking the wrong way. And we need the light of Christ to lead us and guide us and move us forward. I'm intrigued by the fact that as I walk, you know, I, if the light is ahead of me and it's and I can my light and it's showing me this what what's in front of me, I can see a lot of what's going on around me, and that's important. I'm not looking at the road. I don't shine the light right here, so that I'm seeing my feet as they move forward. I'm looking out ahead of me so I can see where I'm about to go. And Jesus says. I'm the light, not just for this little bit of area where you're walking. I'm the light for the whole world. One of the struggles that, that the Israelites have is that they have a sense that, that God is only about them. But God tells, tells Abraham, I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. I have the whole world in mind, not just one small group of people. And sometimes it is so easy for us to become, become so self-centered about the light. But Jesus says it's about all people. It's not just those that we want in the light. It's about everyone. The people we think that deserve the light and the people that we think don't deserve the light. Christ is the light of the world, the whole world, everybody. It's not a coincidence that Jesus makes this statement right after he has his encounter about the woman caught in adultery. Here's a woman that the, some of the religious leaders bring to Jesus to use her. They humiliate her just to trap Jesus. She doesn't mean anything to them. She is, she is worthless to them but not to Jesus. And by the time that encounter gets done, I have a feeling, I get a sense from the text that she's a different person because the light of Christ has shined, shone on her. And when this story is done, 
when this whole dialogue is done and we come to chapter 9 of John, we have the story of a man who is born blind. And the disciples asked Jesus, okay, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Somebody had to sin. And Jesus said, no, it's because we live in a broken, fallen world. These kinds of tragedies happen. But God is going to bring glory out of this. And for a long time, I have thought that means that, the glory, that God is going to be glorified by this Jesus healing this man. And I think that certainly is part of it. But the more I ponder it, it seems to me that maybe what Jesus is saying in addition is that God is glorified. God is, there, there is the glo- there's glory given to God because he celebrates every moment when someone enslaved is set free. If we could put it this way, nothing brings more joy to the heart of God than seeing enslaved people, people in bondage, set free. Seeing people who are living in the darkness, stumbling around in the darkness, all of a sudden recognizing the light and following it. Nothing brings more joy to God than to see that happen. It's true of you and me, and the whole world. That's why we want to tell the world about Jesus. Yes, we want people to have eternal life, but more than that, we want people to be set free now. We want people who are living in darkness, people right around us and people all over the world who are living in darkness, we want them to know the joy of the light of Christ. And instead of people living, stumbling and falling and, and the pain and the, that comes with living in the darkness, we want them to experience the joy of the light of Christ. And quite frankly, a lot of people have lived in the darkness so long, they don't even realize it's darkness. It just seems natural. And you know those experiences when you're, when you're in pitch black darkness... After a while, your eyes begin to adjust and and you can see at least some. And sometimes you can see enough that you think it's not too bad. Until you enter a room where there's really light. And then you realize that what you were doing, what you were experiencing when your eyes adjusted to the darkness was, was really pretty meager compared to being in a room that's flooded with light. And so many people live in darkness, but their eyes have adjusted, and it seems decent, but only because they haven't experienced the fullness of the light of Christ. And Jesus says, I have come so that the whole world might know the light of Christ. That's why he's here. And sometimes we think the gospel, we we treat the gospel as if it's exclusive. And Jesus keeps saying, no, no, no. I want my light to shine everywhere. And not everyone chooses to follow it. Not everyone chooses to walk in it. But it's offered. It's for all people. When I get frustrated and discouraged about all the darkness of the world, I want to say, Lord, when are we going to see more of your light? When is this going to change? And I'm reminded that eventually it will. The day is coming when Christ will eliminate all the darkness, extinguish the darkness. Isaiah 60 talks about the Messiah who will be the everlasting light. And Revelation 21 and 22 says that in the, in the heavens, there will be no need for lights. Because the sun, moon, stars, no need for any of that. Because Jesus will be the light. And it will be more than enough. And we long for that day. But right now we live In the not yet. And one of the things about this festival. The feast of tabernacles. Is that God is trying to help the people understand. That that life is a pilgrimage with him. 
you know, when they were living in the desert, living in those little booths, it was all about someday. Someday we're going to get to the place where we're going to experience living in a real house. We're going to experience living in, in a real city. And it, it won't be these temporary shelters that we live in now that, you know, we are okay, but we really want something more. And every time they come into these shelters from their established real homes, God is reminding them that they haven't yet arrived. It's a journey. And we need to be reminded every day that life is a journey. We haven't yet arrived. We don't know that that joy of the darkness completely being extinguished. We wrestle with darkness. The world wrestles with darkness. And we are reminded over and over and over again when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He reminds us that we are not the light of the world in the same way that he is. We reflect the light. Hopefully, we are shining the light for other people, but only because The light of Christ is in us. We're not the source of the light. And every day, every single day, every moment, we need the light of Christ. We never outgrow it. We never get beyond it. We never get to the place where we say, you know what, I think I can generate enough light on my own that I'm good. That's the moment when we are in most darkness. Because we think we are the light. And we are ignoring the source of the light. We need the light of Christ every moment, all the time. And if we are ever going to be the light of the world to other people, it will not be because we have generated enough light of our own. It will only be because there is so much light of Christ in us that it just flows out of us. So the calling of Christ on our lives is to yearn for the light to seek the light, to want Christ's light in us more and more every day. One of my, one of my rituals over the last eight or ten years has been every winter to read Admiral Richard Byrd's book alone. I like to read it in the wintertime because it's a story of him spending five months all by himself at the South Pole. And something about reading it in the winter helps me to connect with what he's experiencing. I mean, he talks about the fact that, you know, the average temperature today was minus 40, minus 50. He says, you know, some, to, some points of the book, he says, that we got a warm front that came through today. It actually, temperature actually rose to minus 2. And he tells about his encounters there all by himself for five months, living in this 11 by 13 shack that was, that was placed down into a hole that they had dug into the snow and the ice, covered it with the roof, and he ran this meteorological station there at the South Pole for those five months. It was a harrowing experience because his stovepipe wasn't wasn't quite done right and they had to rig it up some way and unfortunately he carbon monoxide began to seep out of it and he almost died. One of the things that he talks about in there is how much he craved light because for almost the whole time he was there it was dark 24 hours a day. When he went outside, darkness. In the shack, darkness. He had this gasoline-powered pressure lamp that, he, that illuminated the whole room where he lived. But unfortunately, it also put off fumes. And so he had to be really careful about how often he used it. But he says in one place, he said, I, I had these little lantern that would just light up a, a small space of, of the room. 
And he said, it, it hurt my eyes because the light was dim and I tried to read and I tried to, you know, play some card games and I tried to write down for the, the charts that I was trying to keep track of. And he said, I realized one day that I was craving the light of that pressure lantern. And he said, I, I wanted to light it even though I knew that the fumes would harm me because I was craving light. Like a thirsty man craves water. And then he says this. Until you've gone through some kind of an experience like that. You have no idea how precious light really is. And for you and I who live in a world of light... I mean, we have light in this room. I brought some examples of lights that people loan me. We have access to lights all the time. We walk in a room, we flick a switch, light. It's so fascinating how we take that for granted. We had rg just came through recently and, and put all LED lights in our building for free. It was awesome. But one of the things that ha- is I notice about LED lights is that when you flick the switch, it takes about two seconds for the light to come on. And every time when I flick the switch, I'm thinking, oh, they're not working. Because I'm so used to flicking the switch and instantaneous light. I'm so impatient about that. We take it for granted. And I suspect that there are times in our walk with Christ, we take it for granted. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's trying to help us understand that there is no source of light other than him. And that in him is joy and peace, and life, and grace, and truth, and everything that we were created to experience in him. And in this world of darkness, when we get discouraged, and frustrated, and wonder if it's ever going to end, our hope is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Are we craving that light? Are we designing and establishing our lives in such a way that we are following the light by how we live and what we want? Our priorities, our motivations, the deepest desires of our souls. I am the light of the world. Is he truly our light. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. Forgive us for the times when we take it for granted. Forgive us for the times when we believe that we can handle the darkness and we're fine. We pray, Father, that you will give us a renewed yearning to walk in your light, in the light of Christ, to surrender, to trust. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. 
darkness for those who in Jesus abide. Light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, shining Bless you, keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.